So we are so glad to just continue on in this journey through Galatians as we experience what God is doing through Paul in the Galatian church. And I've, and I've started a lot of these messages with just a, a basic synopsis of, of the Galatian church, which was important. And uh, the, the basic synopsis is that the Galatian church is a new church planted by Paul and they, they have a, a good, firm grasp of their mission and their understanding of the gospel. And then there are traditionalists that are coming in and trying to impose older systems and older ways into the Galatian church. And Paul is about to lose his mind. Um, and so this is, this is the call out to the Galatian church saying, you know, we need to make sure we stay focused on what God is doing. And so today we're going to, uh, today we're going to go through that and, uh, and I pray that, that your faith will be, will be strengthened today. And I mean that not in a way that it's like, oh, well, my faith, my, my resolve is going to get stronger, but actually that your faith gets stronger today because we're actually going to expand that idea. So a couple of, uh, a couple of really good um, notes right at the beginning before I pray and read the scripture is, uh, is I just want to encourage you to be engaging with the message on Slack and uh, let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you're thinking. If you're connected to our Slack community, then, then just put it right in general and, uh, and, and I'll be able to pull the relevant ones off because they come right up on my screen. Or if you're connecting through promisechurch.community, then you could do it in today's message in the text box, and that pops up as an email on my screen. So you get to distract me from my notes as much as you want. Um, but it, it is good, and it, and it works out well, and that's what makes this a conversation. You know, instead of me just standing up here saying, thus saith the Lord in old English, I, I get to actually have a conversation and get to say, hey, this is, this is what you're thinking about, and this is what God is bringing through the Word and through the study of the Word. And so I just welcome that, that uh, dialogue. Let me pray. <clears throat> God, I thank you so much that you have an idea of what you are calling us as people towards. God, I thank you that you have done everything for us in order for us to come into relationship with you. That's one of the deeper pieces of theology that that song says that Christ is enough because you have done everything that we could not do. You did enough that brought me into presence, into your presence. You were the one that included me when I was not going to be included outside of your actions. And you include each one of us here today. And so, God, I thank you for that. And I pray that that truth would rise in our hearts today. That, that it was you, God, who included us. You included us. And we are honored by that. We are blown away by that. Because so many of the traditions of our humanity and traditions of our past say that I have to do enough to somehow appease an angry God. But... Your revelation says you included us at your initiative. And I thank you for that. Today, as we, as we travel through Galatians, God, I pray that we will be able to see how you included us. We pray that our strength would be, our, our faith would be strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so <clears throat> we're, going into an <laughs> we're going into an explaining passage. So this is where Paul, he's made a couple of really big points, and he said that, that it was the Spirit of God who brought you into relationship with God. Did you receive the Spirit? That was last week. 
Did you receive the Spirit? And so this week, he's now explaining why he can say that. So don't lose the text here, but we're going to go into, we're going to go into about 12 verses, and, uh, and it's going to help us explain what he's talking about. Galatians 3, 6 to 14. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's, that's the nations outside of Judaism, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. No one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not of but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentile nations so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So we see so much going on here. There's a lot of detail in there. There's a lot going on. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to start with a reconstruction of what the word faith means. I mean, okay, well, it's it's basic. Like, we understand, oh, it's faith. But the problem is that faith has been taken all over the place to mean all kinds of things. And my intent in the next couple moments is to just root faith in Scripture. Root faith right here in this passage. What is faith in this passage? Because it's faith that brought us into relationship with Christ. That we receive the Spirit of Christ through faith. Well, what is faith? faith, and so we have, to, we have to fix it. We've got to do something with the word faith, because until we get it right, we'll be forever stuck in a weak Christian experience. And I say that because I talk to so many Christians who say that their faith isn't strong enough, or they say their faith struggles. They say that it's not effective enough, or they're, or they're disappointed in their faith, or they're struggling with guilt because somehow they didn't measure up. And what I want to do is I want to offer hope in the face of that struggle because we have faith and it doesn't need to be a weak faith. It can be strengthened. Abraham put faith in God. That's what we have right at the beginning of our text. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we, we can say that that sentence is Abraham put faith in God. It doesn't mean that Abraham simply believed that God existed. Well, how do I know that? Because Abraham was distinguished among other people and everybody in Abraham's age believed in God. According to all the records we have, they all believed in a God or gods or, or a, you know, something out there. In fact, it's a, it's a modern idea, post-enlightenment idea, that atheism is on the rise. Before the enlightenment, atheism was like, 
a very small idea. It was, you know, it was, it was there, but it wasn't really significant. The majority of people, the vast majority of people, just automatically believe in God in some way. They don't know God. They believe in gods or powers beyond them or God. And, and so we've got this, what we've done is we've reduced faith to being simply, I believe in God, an intellectual statement of belief. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. You know, and, and, and we just push this, this creed out, whichever creed you hold on to in the Christian church or in other faiths, they have different creeds, and, and it's an intellectual assent to an idea. And, and, and what's happening here is, is we say, oh, well, you just put faith in Jesus, and it's good. I give an intellectual assent, and it's good. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and we've made those two things equal. Abraham believed God, intellectual assent, and now it was credited to him as righteousness. So we say, we believe God, intellectual assent, should be credited to us as righteousness, but it feels weak. It feels like something, like, What's going on? And so what I want to do is I want to show us that faith has more substance than simple mental assent. It's got more substance to it. There's something more about faith. See, Abraham did believe God. That was, that was faith. But it wasn't that, that Abraham believed in God, but that Abraham believed God including when God spoke. He believed what God was saying. In, in Genesis 12, which has become one of my favorite passages, is about the call of Abraham. And, and I started really liking this passage because, you know, promise church, and there's a big promise that happens in Genesis 12, and it's like, yay, this is such a great thing. Look, it's just synergy. It works. And so I'm like, yay, Genesis 12. And then I was reading Genesis 12 more in depth, and before God gets to the promise, God actually introduces Abraham to a mission, well, Abram at that point, to a mission, and it's a simple two-letter mission, go, go. Do you know how we know that Abraham believed God? Because he moved. Abraham believed God, and we know it, because he moved. It wasn't just a mental ascent. It had something that was powerful enough. It had enough substance that it changed his address. It changed the way he thought about the world. It changed the way he thought about his future. It changed the way that he lived his life. He had enough faith that it moved him he moved, and so Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, it wasn't because he did the right ritual. He didn't go and, and find the nearest, you know, Ashereth pole and, and make the right sacrifices to the right random gods that existed in his culture. He didn't try to appease an angry god by throwing a sacrifice into a volcano, as was happening in his culture. He didn't do any of the things that would, that would put him in the right position. What he did was he said, okay, I'll go. Okay, I will go. He moved. So the word faith 
its, it's root word is pistis. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a Greek word. And in English, we use four different words. And, and the words that we use are faith, faithful, belief, and trust. Those are the words that we link with the word faith. Faith, faithful, belief, and trust. But you notice in English that I can't just put any of those into a sentence. You know, I can't, I can't just in, put faithful into any sentence because faithful has a specific use in English. It's, it's I'm describing somebody as reliable. They are faithful. I can't just switch that with the word belief. When I describe somebody as reliable, I can't say they are belief. I can't do that. English doesn't allow me to do that. But, I can, but I'm using the same root word in Greek. I'm using pistis. And so it, it's a larger concept than just intellectual assent. And uh, yeah, Joel, you've got a really good point. Joel, Joel says that he was convinced that Abraham had faith in God when he tried to obey God's command to sacrifice his son that he and Sarah had tried and waited so long for. And, uh, and, and then, you know, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. He, again, he moved. He understood God. He put so much faith, belief, trust in God that he was willing to even sacrifice his son. And then he put so much faith, belief, trust in God that he was able to pull out the substitute ram that God provided and be able to see it as that. I mean, some of us, I think Ethan, tongue-in-cheek, says I prefer intellectual acknowledgement because then I don't need to change. Well, yes! But it becomes insufficient for us. It becomes dissatisfying for us. It makes us long for something more. And so, you know, we've got this word. It's, it's faithful, reliable. If you trust somebody, you rely on their faithfulness, right? If you, if you put your trust in somebody, you're relying on their faithfulness to come through. I know that, that, that people, you know, when I was a teen, we would have these ideas of like, oh, you can, you can trust my word. My word is bond or whatever they said. I don't know. They were cool. I wasn't cool. But they would always say, you can trust my word. Okay, so that means you're reliable to your word. You can put faith in me. To put faith in someone isn't just allow, to allow them to lead you, or sorry, to put faith in someone is to allow them to lead you because you trust them. Like, I think of, you know, old youth group days when we would do trust exercises. We stopped doing it when the kids stopped catching the other one. It was awkward. But it was fun, and, uh, but there's, there are trust exercises that we do, and, and you really trust the person, and you know that you trust the person when you're willing to just fall back and let them catch you. I mean, that's the true exercise of trust, isn't it? It's not, oh, I give a scent that you're going to catch me. Do you really? Yeah, of course I do. I know you're going to catch me. No problem. Prove it. Right? So you've got the... the the, the catching of the person and the person being willing to fall into the arms of their friend, except for that guy that just stepped back. That was rude. So, yes, correct. Bennett just said trusting someone's faithfulness is having faith in them. Exactly. And so this is what we're called to when it comes to Christ. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of of Abraham. 
Oh, so it's not just those who place intellectual assent in Jesus who say, oh, yeah, 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 I believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again on the third day and is coming back. Yep, that's nice. Good for you. It's not just that. It is actually making that word faith fill out. Trusting God that what he did in Christ is sufficient for you. Trusting him in such a way that it moves you. If we reduce faith to mental agreement or belief, how can faith be relevant to our everyday life? What happens is when we, when we make our faith just like a, a checkbox, then I come to church on a Sunday, if I even deem that as necessary, and I come to church on Sunday, and then I say, checkbox, I did my faith thing, and it's about a story 2,000 years ago that was nice, and it was a good story. There are other good stories, too. And, you know, great. Now I just feel better about my life. I should just, you know, include everything and do everything nice. And, and it becomes very detached from reality. It becomes very detached from the struggle of life. It becomes detached from like, what does that mean for me? And what am I supposed to do about that? It just becomes like this arbitrary system that I hold on to that I say, oh, well, that, that's, that's what I did. Instead of being ingrained into my entire person that now determines my outlook for life. What is a Christian outlook for life? Just, it's not even in my notes right here, but what's a Christian outlook for my, for my life? A Christian outlook for my life says regardless of the situation that I'm in today, I will look to Christ and I know that he will make all things right in the end. I know that Christ will return and I will be joined with him. I will be vindicated that all those sacrifices that I made that, you know, like, I remember when I was younger, oh, well, I missed going out with friends on a weekend because I went to church on a Sunday. Well, that sacrifice where my friends were like, oh, you don't have any fun with us anymore. And I, anyways, reflections you don't need to think, know about right now. Um, but they, they, you know, oh, you don't have fun with us anymore because you're so religious. Well, when I look at the end of things, the psalmist does this all the time, looks at the end of things and says, in the end, I see that I'm vindicated. I see that Jesus does return, that, that I am made right, and now this affects my life. How I live today is completely affected with Jesus and so this is really important. Someone just paused and said, you know, I'm able to trust God, and for me, for the most part, but I'm able to trust God for me for the most part, but when it comes to trusting him for my children, it's a daily struggle and surrendering, and I get that as a father. I get that because it matters. It matters. Your kids, they matter, and so what we do is we look to the end when Jesus returns and we entrust our children to Jesus by saying, I'm placing all my faith in your faithfulness. I'm placing everything I've got in your faithfulness on behalf of my child that they will know you. And God sees that and he goes, yes, 
That's exactly it. That's the type of faith because God is faithful. So the the problem that we have, the problem that we have is that if we simply believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sins, we struggle to figure out what it means. It's kind of arbitrary and kind of a formula for sin management. Oh yeah, oh, I, I do bad things, but if I give mental assent to Jesus that he died on a cross, uh, and then I'm saved by God's promises somehow, but if I don't give mental assent to Jesus, then somehow I'm now condemned as a consequence. So what I want to do here is I actually want to strengthen faith because that's simplistic. What Jesus is actually looking for is he's saying, will you trust me entirely? Will you trust me to guide your life? Because when you do that, I will invite you into the eternal experience with me that starts now in which I will guide you through the pitfalls and the dangers of this world. I will guide you through how to live. I will direct your step. It's not that nothing bad is going to happen. It's that we are placing our faith in Jesus to guide us through, to work alongside God. And now he says, now we're able to move. So, so I mean, when we see the, the idea of, of mental ascent, we see in James 2.19 the, the ultimate antithesis to, to faith is, is uh, James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. And the demons believe that and shudder. So we've got to have something more than just mental ascent. We've got to, it's faith, but it's really calling all of me in. So the solution is, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The gospel is about all nations taking Abraham's idea of faith, the type that moved him, and seeing that by being people of faith in the faithfulness of Jesus, all nations will be blessed. And this is where it works for us. It means that it's more than mental ascent. It means that we have this life-altering trust placed in Jesus, and when we do that, all nations can be blessed. Bradford can be blessed because we as a people put our absolute trust in Jesus and he shows us how to be a blessing to others. He works that blessing through us so that all people can be blessed, both physically and also spiritually. They can be brought into the promises as well. They can be blessed communally and they can be blessed with an introduction to Jesus and their life is changed. The orientation of their life is changed. So we put our faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. I'm repeating myself a lot because it's so big. We receive the Spirit of God by this faith. Your life is altered by the trust you put in Jesus. I want to pause there for a second. Your life is altered by the faith that you place in Jesus. And this is how we know that we're called in. We're not earning faith through religious structure. 
That isn't it. We're not earning God's approval through religious structure. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For some of us, Christianity, maybe some of us watching, maybe some of us in the room, Christianity was a structure of do's and don'ts. It was a structure of rules in which you had to do the right thing to get accepted. And in this case, when we see it, for all who rely on that structure, the works of the law, they're under a curse. For it's written, everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, do them. It's under a curse. So now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Those religious structures, people leave churches all the time because they see that those religious structures weren't doing anything. They were just systems and stuff in the way that nobody ever felt satisfied with. And now, we see that that wasn't the way. See, the Reformation in the church is a big deal. Probably the biggest deal. It it happened about 500 years ago. Probably the biggest deal since the resurrection of Jesus. And what it did is it showed us that we weren't approved by God because we participate in the right rituals or the right Catholic or Jewish rituals at that time. But we're approved by God because of our faith and faith alone. Yet we're in danger of creating our own religious Rituals that include or exclude. This is how it hits us as a church. We are in danger of creating our own religious rituals that threaten to include or exclude instead of looking to the faith. We sometimes want to say you have to look like such or be like such or do these type of rules and rituals instead of saying put all of your faith in Jesus. And let him guide you. Let him navigate life with you in his way, in his time. Let him do the work of changing you by you simply going, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. Show me the way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So we will look to Jesus for the way. The type of faith that the reformers had was not the simplistic, if I say a prayer, my sins are managed. The type of faith that the reformers had allowed them to take the equivalent of a bullet. It called them towards martyrdom in in many different ways. It called them to exclusion and hardship. And maybe we've reduced it to something too easy. Maybe we've just said, oh, well, you just say this simple prayer and that's it. No, what I want to encourage you is to actually put your faith, your trust, your life into Jesus' hand and say, show me the way in which I should live. Show me the way. The way I live now, this is where I'm ending. The way I live now foreshadows the way everyone will live when Jesus completes his work, when he returns. It foreshadows the way that everyone will live. So that's my goal. Now, the reason I use foreshadow is because we don't make that happen. Guys, I mess up all the time. I looked at this week and I was humbled by my own actions this week, by my own 
prideful thoughts this week, by my own lustful thoughts this week, by my own covetousness thoughts this week. I was humbled by the evil that still resides in me. And my prayer to God was, God, remove it from me. I confess this, purify me, I give it to you. And so when I say foreshadows, it's not that I do it implicitly all the time. I, I, I trust God to be working in me, but I'm foreshadowing. The way I live now foreshadows the way that we will live for all eternity in worship and in absolute trust of God. In absolute community brought together without, without breaking of relationship, without divisions, without scarcity, without anxiety, without depression, without any of those things. But the way I live now actually foreshadows. I get glimpses and I go, that's what it's going to be like. And then I go, oh, well, that's not what it's going to be like. Oh, great, but that's what it's going to be like. And I, and I look at my life and there's that tension in it where I'm like, some things I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it's going to be like later on. And I, and I can look at that and say, God, keep doing that in me. That's so cool. And I could look at the other areas of my life and go, I don't have it all together yet. God, do that in me, in your time, in your way. Work in me continually. Here's your faith. Because of Jesus and his faithfulness, God is with you right now. The Holy Spirit's not a downgrade from Jesus. This is all-powerful God living in you. Did you receive the Spirit by faith? It's all-powerful God living in you right now. And it's good news that changed our lives. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that Jesus, Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the nations. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You receive the spirit of God through faith and it gets spread to all the nations. I know that this church has over 30 nations represented in it. And I know that each one of us received the Spirit by faith in Jesus. The exact same way. All nations. We're all bound to obey some religious structure to get to God. You know, it's, it's really funny. Ethan just said, it's a function of humanity that we must put rituals in place to include or exclude. However much we would like to, it to be so promised, can't be for everybody. The big C church can, but not individual congregations. And you're right. The, we, Ethan, you're right. We, we foreshadow. We do our best. We do our best. And that's why we preach about it. But, you know, because we're all bound to obey some religious structure to get to God. We, in, in our culture today, we use in atheism, pantheism, agnosticism, Muslim, uh, Islam, Buddhism, Wiccan, capitalism. Yep, that's a religious structure too. Uh, materialism, Judaism, all kinds of other isms. We use all of these to get to God, but these structures themselves don't get you to God. Only Jesus brings you to God. Promised church doesn't get you to God. Jesus gets you to God. So can you trust that the God you might have fought off for your entire life You know, maybe you fought off God because he's unjust. 
Maybe you fought off God because he's harsh. Maybe you read the Old Testament and interpret it to be God being vindictive. Maybe you fought off God because something bad happened in your past. And you say, where was God in that situation? Why did God let me suffer like that? Can you trust the God who maybe at one point in your life you thought wanted to take your freedom away and used fear just to control you? These are common perceptions that I hear about God. And what I read about God when I read Scripture is not a God who just wants to control, who just wants to take away the fun. I read about a God who says, I want you to live life abundantly and I will show you the way. The most abundant life is the life that's lived with God. Can you trust a God that says, I've done everything to initiate this type of relationship where I will live in you, guiding your step. Can you trust that God? That's what being a Christian is. Your faith is strengthened because you evaluate your life and say, I can trust God in every area. And I slowed because it's a challenge. It's a constant challenge that I open up my heart to trust God and increasingly in every area. I don't do it perfectly, but God by faith is living in me by the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit? It's what being a Christian is. We can trust God. That affects me on Monday. It's not just a religious thing that I come to on a Sunday to try to make God happy, but it affects me tomorrow morning when I get up and I go to work and I go, oh, I have to go to work again. Okay. God, I can trust you in this. God, I can trust you in this. And every single time we do that, every time we turn and we say, God, I can trust you in this, we are placing faith in Christ Jesus. If today you place your life reorienting trust in Jesus, you can let us know by going to promisechurch.community. Click the today I place my, my faith in Jesus and fill out the Get Connected card with that. But today, I want to encourage you to strengthen your faith. If you've had faith in Jesus, but you've not seen it like this, you've just seen it as a religious system, I encourage you to let go of that and place all of your trust in the faithfulness of Jesus. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, God Almighty, divine, powerful creator, God, this is who you are, and you have chosen to live inside of me. Inside of all of us who place our faith in you, you have chosen to live in us and show us the way. God, lead us in your way everlasting. As the psalmist wrote, teach me your way, O Lord. In Psalm 119. And so God, 
Today, we put our faith in you, not just mental ascent, but once again, afresh, we put everything that we have, our life decisions, and we know that we're not going to do it perfectly. We know that the best we got right now is foreshadowing. But God, I pray that we would place our faith in you, place what we have in you, and say, God, I trust you with my future, I trust you with my present, and I trust you to help me understand my past. I trust you with everything because you are faithful and you proved it again and again and you proved your faithfulness even to the point where you gave up your own life because you were faithful. I can trust someone like that. And so Jesus, I pray that you would take us, that you would fill us with your spirit and give us your divine vision for our life so that the way we live our life now will foreshadow to everybody the way life is to be lived in heaven. Do your work in us, Lord Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you for coming to Promise Church today. I'm so glad to see so many of you here in Slack and here in person. And uh, God bless you. Be encouraged. <laughs>